I am Steve, and welcome to the podcast today. And with me is Taylor Powelson running our technology. And my guest today is Cheryl Balthrop, the executive director of the Eugene Mission. Do I have your title right? You do indeed. Okay, great. Hey, Cheryl, um, I really want to talk about the mission. I love what the mission does, the, uh, the impact that the organization has in our community and the philosophy and all those things about the mission. So very excited about that. But first, I want to find out more about you. So uh, why don't you tell us where you grew up? Yeah, well, I grew up in Eastern Oregon, a place called Nyssa, which is right on the Snake River and a wonderful place to grow up. Okay, and I've heard of that. It's like just kind of like a place in the road. If you blink your eyes, it's gone. Yes, but it's beautiful. You know, <laughs> hot desert land and wonderful people and just a great opportunity to you know be out in the desert and ride motorcycles and chase cattle okay awesome all right chase so you've chased cattle with motorcycles well usually it was on foot because i wasn't prepared okay yeah all right well excellent hey uh and so you grew up in nissa how did you make it over to eugene how did that happen well i came to school here and just never left i really liked the whole willamette valley and and that at that point i wasn't chasing cattle actually mm-hmm. So. so you went to U of O? I went to the University of Oregon for undergraduate and graduate and just stayed. Okay. And what was your degree in? Uh, undergraduate was English and French, and mm-hmm. then I continued on with law. And you went to the Knight Law School? Is that what it's called? It, it, yes, even or, at that time. Okay. Yeah. But it was a cement bunker when I went in the 90s. So okay. It's much nicer now. I would have loved to have gone to the current law school. To the, to the new facility. Yes. Okay, great. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey, how you became a believer. Tell us about that. Well, that's that's an interesting one. I actually, um, I didn't have a very high opinion of people of faith growing up. Mm. I um, grew up without any of that type of background. I um, went through school and practiced, and it wasn't until I was age 40 that I actually first met Jesus. And mm. Um, it was actually, I was seeing a very large building and wondering what in the world people were doing in it. I could not believe there were that many people who were Christians. And I actually snuck in the back and heard Romans. I heard a passage from Romans, and it just made my heart sing, and I knew I was hearing the truth. Wow. So you were you a college student? No, you said you were 40. I was 40. I was practicing law, and um, I did not want anyone to know that I was even looking into Christianity. I had many people that I knew and associated with that thought that something was terribly wrong with me, that I was actually attending church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. And so, and as I recall, you attend First Baptist Church. Yes. Downtown, right? Was that the big church? When it was. It okay, was. And that I, makes sense I really, downtown. based on, you know, my experience, I honestly could not believe that there were that many people who believed. Mm-hmm. I, I had a very distorted view. And um, boy, when God gets a hold of you, the scales fall from your eyes and you see things a little bit differently. Okay. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So you uh, come to know Christ in a deep way. Your story reminds me of John Wesley. I don't know if you know that story from history. We'll do that a history podcast, John Wesley, someday. <laughs> and he heard a passage from Romans, or Augustine heard a passage from Romans. And Wesley says, I felt my heart strangely warmed as, you know, oh, that was really? his word. So, yeah. So yeah. I see some similarities there. 
And what kind of law did you practice? Business law, primarily. And, um, you know, I had a lot of interactions with businesses and local nonprofits. And I actually started um, on the board of the Eugene Mission. And Mm -hmm. um, I used to, as a baby Christian, I, I prayed that God would allow me to use some of the gifts. And I didn't know that God takes you seriously in your prayers. And that was another you know, hmm. revelation for me. So quite a, quite a journey there for me as well. So a business lawyer, sometimes I, I think of it this way that I'm not totally wrong. They read a lot of contracts and then uh, the fine print, and that's what they do all day. But what does a business attorney do? And then I want to ask you how that's been helpful to you at the Eugene Mission. That's where I'm going yeah, with that. Well, it's so much more. I mean, the, the beauty of business laws is that you have a relationship with your clients, that particularly in a smaller community, that you get to go through the ups and downs of the business. You get to help with growth. You get to get help them through the long, you know, the, the difficult times. And so it's not just a one-off. And... Um, you grow with your, your clients, and I think that is particularly well-suited for the work that I do at the mission because it's not just someone walking through your doors and transactionally helping them. You want to look to the long term and how you can invest in them. And the same, the same kind of approach with the business client. Hmm. Interesting. So much deeper, of course. So, so I, how did you get on the board of Eugene mission to begin with and then how did you become the director the I first started um, helping the mission providing pro bono legal advice and I was assisting a number of churches and that was a tremendous blessing and then I was invited to serve on the board and that was just just a great experience and then the previous executive director indicated he would be um, retiring from that position and um, he indicated I should be the next executive director. <laughs> and initially I said, no, absolutely not. I, I, I really loved practicing law and great partners, great clients. And my son was practicing with me as well. Oh. <clears throat> I get a little choked up about it. Um, and that had never been in my plans. But uh, I'd heard about the call. I'd heard about, you know, when God places something on your heart and I I did not feel I could say no. Mm-hmm. So I find that I find that incredible. So and I from this perspective that I would assume that the law profession makes a lot more money than the executive director of the mission, and it's also tremendous lifestyle change, and probably more hours of work at the mission, or different kind of work, or stressful. I know being a lawyer is stressful, but. But can you talk a little bit about that, how you felt the call of God to to become the director? You know, like I said, I had heard about being called into something, and I was quite comfortable in providing advice and being on the outside of things. And even from serving, I felt rather diligently as a board member, it's night and day between being in one role and then stepping to, which is more or less the front lines. Um, but like I said, I, I felt that that was what I was called to do. Um, it was a tremendous blessing to be an attorney and to serve, but stepping into this role is something that has stretched me. It has challenged my faith. It has um, grown me in ways in my faith that I 
I see miracles on a regular basis. Mm. And um, from hours, stress, etc., it is it is extraordinary, but it is such a blessing to walk with people, to see people in moments of crisis, and to see their lives transformed. That I, I think it is such an extraordinary gift to anyone that is in that position to see that and to see how God is making such amazing things mm-hmm. happen here in Eugene. You know, you hear about these things and then to actually see someone come. You know, we take pictures of folks when they come to our doors and then to mm-hmm. see it. I mean, to literally see this person change before your eyes, you know, no one would want to trade that experience and to be able to be part of that. Yeah. Let's talk about the mission itself now. Mm-hmm. So um, can you can you give me the 30,000 foot view of the mission? So what I mean by that is like how many clients does mission have coming on your, just, I'm just thinking of the people listening to podcasts that may know nothing about the mission. So I kind of want to give them a little, here's the mission. Sure. So like how many clients come in a door through the doors a year? Uh, hundreds. I mean, I, I can't give you the grand total. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have several hundred staying with us. If I could, backing up, Mm -hmm. we are one of the largest missions on the West Coast, if not the largest. Most people don't know that. I I have no idea. We have seven and a half acres, 13 buildings, and have been operating for over 60 years. And that's all because of God and Mm -hmm. how people generously provided. The scope of the mission services are also extraordinary. We do both the emergency, the crisis work, and the transformational work, the long-term, not just months, but years investment. And that is also unusual. Most missions will just do either outreach, crisis, or transformational work. And we're trying to do that mashup of all of those things because we recognize that is a vital need here in this community. All of those pieces are needed. We have one of the highest per, per capita. Last, well, the last data was we had the highest per capita unhoused in the nation. And that Eugene is a community. Yes. We have the highest per capita of people who are unhoused. Why are we making the distinction between homeless and unhoused? Is that just a... They're just different terminology. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So the highest yes. in Eugene. And this is not something we should be happy about. Right. And... I see that as an indication that we need to do better, that some of the measures, some of the policies, some of the approaches, again, maybe this is my business background, that if we're making huge investments and people are not getting better, if more people are either are falling into houselessness, homelessness, um, or becoming disconnected from family or from healthy community, that we need to do better. So what are some of the policies that you think are are not helpful? I think as we continue to treat chronic situations like situational emergency situations, that doesn't help. And so to give an example, um, any type of transactional benefit or charity where we're dropping off things or just it's a short-term approach like a camp, that's great if it's a hurricane or an earthquake, or even a short-term, really tragic situation, such as domestic violence, that works. If it's a complex problem, 
like vocational issues, mental health, addiction, we need to have a long-term investment. And if it's, if it's just a, a, a sporadic touch, that will not help that person, that precious person, make progress. Mm-hmm. So um, what I've heard is that probably maybe 90% of the unhoused probably have a drug addiction issue or some type of addiction, alcohol or drugs. Would you say that's somewhere in the ballpark? Or I think that's accurate. And regrettably, folks that initially fall into houselessness may not initially have an addiction issue, but maybe as a coping issue or um, perhaps predatory behaviors, mm-hmm. that it's something that arises the longer time that they spend on the street. And so we need to shorten those periods of time or make it possible for there to be a structured environment so that the addiction issues don't become greater. And it's not something that's really generally being discussed. So when it comes to mental illness, what percentage of people do you think who come through the doors at the Eugene Mission or even then house in our community uh, face mental illness? Also very high. I think, again, this is probably anecdotal, but our staff would suggest that it's in the high 90% of our guests. And it's difficult to tease out the various elements because at the point in time that the guests come to us, they've had uh, very sporadic sleep patterns. They've had trauma on the streets. They've had um, a number of health issues. So that can exacerbate anyone's health, mental health issues. So many times what is perceived as mental illness will be uh, ameliorated with just structure and time and healthy environment. But even with more serious mental health issues, tremendous progress can be made just with a structured environment. But again, the percentage is very high. So I read an article that said that, uh, this was the Seattle mission, Mm -hmm. that probably in the Seattle Times, that 70% of their clients went through one of their wellness programs are still sober after two years. I found that to be incredibly high compared to other um, other programs that other organizations offer. So do you have any kind of feel for that as far as the programs at the, at the mission here in Eugene, um, the success rate of those programs, which may mean that you're going to have to tell me what those programs are. Sure. Yeah. Well, and thank you for the opportunity. So we have a life change program, which is a relapse prevention program, addiction recovery, which is 12 to 18 months free of charge. And what it is is inpatient, intensive, highly relational. And we do have outcomes of that nature. And in or- the reason why the outcomes get to those types of percentages is because folks are living together. They're supported 24-7. Mm-hmm. They have the time to work through the various barriers, the various issues that gave rise to the underlying um, addiction challenges. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, m- the broader community will have much shorter um, addiction recovery programs or no access at all. You know, you compare an 18-month to a 90-day, and there's no comparison. Or even mm. appointments that will be every Thursday at 2 p.m., there is no way that that can compare to the type of support that folks need and the ongoing support where we also offer alumni programs, ongoing mentoring, because 
people will go through tough patches later, and we don't want to have folks fall back into behaviors. So we have ongoing relationships with our guests that then become alumni and then are ongoing mission family who mm-hmm. can become an inspiration and mentors for for the new folks that come to the mission. And we follow that same pattern with our general population in our um, our cubed program, which is for folks that may not be experiencing addiction, but may be having other traumas that we're addressing. What would some of those other traumas be that people are? A lot of family disconnection. Okay. It could be abuse, domestic violence, but it also can be issues of betrayal, trauma, um, many uh, family disintegration moving. Uh, we have a number of elder guests who no longer have mm. contact with uh, younger family members, and we become a bit of the lifeboat that keeps them going and um, helps them restore perhaps relationships with more distant family members. Okay. So at the mission, I know you have, is it called the wellness program? That you just it's, life it's broader. Li- it's, life so life change is the addiction recovery, mm-hmm. and R cubed is the path. It's a curriculum for all other guests that are proceeding on beyond the rescue phase, which is the emergency phase. Got it. So then, I think there's a women's building, right? I'm there is. Yeah. yeah. So can you tell sure. us about that? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we also have a women's and children's program, and women do come to us um, who've experienced domestic violence. We have. It is heartbreaking when women will come to us with children. We have, um, at any given time, we'll have um, probably four or five young families. For the first time, we have um, a father and children on campus as well, and we support them through school and parenting support, etc. And the women are also participating in the vocational training and other opportunities, but we're, we're also supporting them in recovering from um, again, the domestic situations that they might have experienced. And there are some really tough stories um, mm. that we're experiencing with sex trafficking and other things in this community. Wow, that's that's incredible. I bet you see so many heartbreaking stories, and at the same time you see so many people redeemed. Absolutely. By, uh, redeemed by God, redeemed by faith in Christ, and just tremendous stories. Hey, um, we, hey, let's do this. Let's, we're going to do a part two of our podcast today. we got a lot to talk about with Cheryl. And so this is Steve with our podcast stuff with Steve. And uh, Cheryl, thanks for being here for this part one. And we're going to talk about part two and dive more into the Eugene mission.